hey you know i watched a movie that jo- that oh i told you this already that jodie foster um narrated called be natural i think everyone should watch it i think everyone should watch this movie be natural um but what was amazing is that I didn't realize that Jodie Foster either A, has a killer French accent, or B, is fluent in French, <laughs> which I think is pretty great. Kick ass. Honestly, I love Jodie Foster. What's not to love? Um, but anyway, <laughs> you know, welcome everyone. <laughs> we also love this podcast. And we also guest. love this podcast. <laughs> it has nothing to do with being French. <laughs> no. We're just, you know, we're still the queens of transitions over here. We, but. Really, we really are. However matt o'connor is in film so <laughs> but he's not a woman so this is a really bad transition but this it's is okay. not voting well for matt i'm sorry you're already the butt of my jokes i love you i really do so anyway welcome to the podcast and perfect if we haven't said so already i'm kara bartek and i'm rebecca nisco this week we have my dear friend who i've i'm sorry i've been merciless mercilessly making fun of you already um my, my friend Matt O'Connor, he's a filmmaker, a writer, an actor, a musician, a jack-of-all-trades, perhaps, um, based in L.A., and I'm so excited to have him on. It literally took us years, it feels like, to have Matt on the show, um, so this was a real treat, in my opinion, and I think it was a really fun episode. Matt has so many fantastic things to say in this episode, so much solid advice and I loved hearing about how his start in acting and comedy shaped who he is today and how his other influences shaped who he is today. So, yeah, just a fantastic episode, and we really hope you enjoy. Yeah. My name is Matt O'Connor. I'm based in LA, originally from Philly, uh, and I write, direct, and I've started writing some music as well on the side. So, yeah. really exciting, amazing, <laughs> really, really Thank exciting. You. So Matt and I know each other not through college per se, but we went to the same university together, and then we had the same <laughs> friends. <laughs> so I feel like what I like about our friendship is that we met after college, which is kind of yeah. special. I don't know. <laughs> I agree. I agree. Yeah. yeah, Kara pulled off the impossible, <laughs> doing producing a remote shoot for no budget on a location without Wi-Fi wow. at the beginning of COVID. Wow. Yeah, just to gas you up a little bit. <laughs> Someone you, could pull you. it off. I, Kara could for sure. Oh my God, you guys! <laughs> um, we can keep talking about me. You know, Matt. We're just. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I came up. Yeah, yeah. we're just gonna talk about Kara the whole time. It's fine. I'm fine with that. I'm totally fine. Exactly. With that. <laughs> um, um my face is probably like beat red i'm so uncomfortable right now um anyway (laughs) uh we like to start sort of at the beginning um and i always like asking people that i've known this question because i might not know this about you so it's always like nice to see but how did you first get into film what got you interested in the medium yeah well so as a kid in philly I was like a semi-professional musical theater actor. Wait, 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 what? Wait, 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 did you not know no, that? No, I did not know that. What? <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. This, this podcast yeah. is so educational. Uh, 
for me. <laughs> this is my friend, Kara. Yes. Anyway. <laughs> so, yeah, I was doing a ton of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of it was paid. Some of it just, you know, to do it. Mm-hmm. And I got to do a show uh, with this guy, Hugh Pinero, who's one of the phantoms on Broadway. Uh, and it was a big eye-opening experience because while he was killing it, it kind of opened my eyes to how low of a ceiling that world can Mm -hmm. be. Like, unless you're really a breakthrough talent, like, you know, Mm -hmm. Ben Platt, uh, you know, Barbara Streisand, like, you know, there are a few, but it's way less common. So then thinking I still wanted to be an actor, I started to pursue acting in film, uh, but there's not much of a film scene in Philly. So I was like, you know what, I'll just build it myself. Mm -hmm. And uh, I started writing directing stuff with my friends in high school and, you know, we would do these comedy sketches and web series where I'd learn, you know, write, act, edit, yeah, produce, yeah. do the whole thing. It would be like all of the camera people were also the actors. So it's just like three of our little cameras on tripods mm-hmm. and then we have to like figure it out in the edit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, and then by the end of high school, I just was like, you know what? I think that I, I just felt way more controlled doing the behind the camera yeah. stuff. Like, you know, acting is, they're both very involved with gatekeepers, but acting is like just so out of your hands. Like you could just, you know, have the wrong face. <laughs> and that's the reason you don't get your dream job. Yeah, uh, yeah. So I figured, yeah, at least, you know, writing and directing was a skill set I could just continue to build on. And it felt like more sustainable. So I got into NYU, started doing that, and the rest is history. Yeah. yeah, but I really feel like you just cut out, like, the whole post-college, like, journey, which I don't know. I mean, you don't yeah. have to, el- I mean, but I would like you to, if you could elaborate a little bit on that, because I think that Something that was the most unhelpful throughout college was when these guest speakers would come in and they would literally be like, yeah, so I graduated and then I got a job. Yeah. <laughs> and it was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> thank you. That does not quell the my anxiety whatsoever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> totally. So I'm throwing that back at well, you. Well, I feel like, yeah, I feel like that question even starts during college. Mm-hmm. Like during college, I was very active about doing internships mm-hmm. and jobs and mm-hmm, sets. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and I think that if you're studying something and you have the ability to be doing it in any professional capacity, you really should mm-hmm. because it's going to give you a huge leg up and like a network and a resume. Mm-hmm. You kind of always need to get a lucky break, but you need to have all of the, like you need to have every reason to not get lucky to get lucky, if that makes yeah. sense. Like you need to be working hard and have the credentials and all those things and then you can get lucky. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. But if you don't do what you can do, you're probably not going to get those opportunities. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I was doing a lot of that stuff, mostly in TV development, um, but from that built a skill set of like writing pitch decks and editing pitch decks. Um, my last semester in college, I was a part-time student, uh, so I was just editing my thesis film and doing one screenwriting class that I was actually repeating it <laughs> because I knew that I already had the script that would allow me to get the credits for the class. Yeah, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and I did a screen, uh, songwriting class as well, just to kind of keep building that skill set. Mm-hmm. And the other part time, I was working as a part time employee at this company, Good Company, uh, interning there. And I just put all of my efforts into that internship, knowing yeah. that that was a place that uh, I could get a job. Hypothetically, I ended up getting the job out of college, which was really great. Working there for a little under two years, uh, into COVID a bit, yeah. um, and from that, they were super. I mean. They're, they just really helped build me up. Like they let me do some directing work through their production insurance, which is like absolutely huge. insane. Yeah, that was really uh, huge. They posted my work on their Instagram, which like from a clout perspective has helped. Like it just makes me seem way more legit than I am. <laughs> Don't uh, say that. Don't I'll undersell take. yourself. <laughs> no, I won't. But I mean, like, I mean, 
just compared to some of the other things they're doing, they didn't have to do sure, that. Sure, that sure, sure. They don't really get anything out of that is what I'm trying mm-hmm. to say. Uh, so the fact that they did do it is very kind. And they, you know, got one of my music videos on some, uh, some like music video blogs, like promo news and like those things. And uh, they got me a commercial for the Susan G. Cohen Foundation. Yeah. Uh, so they really, I mean, they really did a, they were very nice. And even through that, like, it's such a small company that I was getting to work very closely with directors who were, I just respected a lot. Uh, so like I had these really surreal experiences of like sitting in an edit room with Nuno Zico for a month <laughs> as he was working on projects with Madonna so and like insane. getting to pick you know. his brain about like, <laughs> no, it's insane. And like, while we were doing that, his music video crave that he did for her leaked. Yeah. So I got to have like a front row seat to like, how do you handle yeah. the worst case scenario happening with like, you Shit. know, in the biggest opportunity of your career or like, uh, Maxime Quillen. Uh, who was working with uh, Spike Jordan on some of Meek Mill's stuff and some stuff with Justin Timberlake, who just did the, the Donda live shows. When he was doing the Meek Mill stuff, like he would bring me and, and Martina in and like just ask for notes. Like he'd go through the edit, be like, what do you guys think? We get to ask him questions and we know like, which of these cuts are planned? Which of these are just you telling your director of photography to do a consistent camera move and then you're cutting on consistent motion? Like just like these very technical questions that you don't really get to see otherwise and like, I feel like I learned more from those practical experiences of seeing these guys on set and in the edit room um, and even like, you know, fleshing out the pitch decks with them than I did all of my time in college, yeah. uh, which is really, really great. Yeah. 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 You just listed like a whole bunch of things that you do, you know, music, writing, acting, directing. Yeah. <laughs> um, what did you find was the most useful skill to get to where you are now or what was a skill that helped you the most that maybe surprised you in some capacity? Mm-hmm. Um, because you've done so many different things. I think as a person, the thing that helped me, I have two answers. One is a person, one is a professional. I think as a person, a comedy improv was mm-hmm. definitely the thing that helped me the most. Yeah. I started doing that. I did it for like five years, starting in middle school, like in sixth grade. I started doing it as a club in school and then joined this side up at uh, McGuffin uh, Children's Theater in Philly and then went to French Woods and was in their improv theater there. Um, and it like less so about the actual skills of comedy improv and more what was helpful was just like there one it 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 helped me talk to adults like it helped me navigate conversations in day-to-day life like i feel like sometimes like i don't know if either of you ever learned how to juggle but when you learn how to juggle there's this like panic reflex you need to overcome where like you have a ball in the air and your brain goes i have to catch that ball and then your brain goes, oh, no, I don't have any hands to catch that ball. Yeah. So the key to juggling is just like killing that panic reaction so you have you can throw the ball before you catch it. Mm-hmm. And I feel like conversations, especially as a kid, can be like that when you're talking to someone who maybe yeah. you think is more experienced than you or like, you know, they're just on it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so like if you, if you have to go up without a script like every week and just wing it, mm-hmm. like you can't panic. You have to just be like, yeah, I don't have a thing to say and like I need to come up with something and I don't have time to panic about it. Yeah. Um, And it's helped me in every aspect of my life, like from navigating professional conversations to personal conversations um, to just like being, I feel like it it just trains a muscle that like makes you think in more creative ways. Mm -hmm. And like, you know, and like film is the art of problem solving. So like if you're on set, you need to solve a problem, right? Mm -hmm. Like Mm -hmm. having that muscle to just be like, oh, I have to think of something fast doesn't have to be the best thing. It just has to be something. Um, So that's helpful. And then I think on the professional side, like something I've really learned this year is that like songwriting and screenwriting and directing and editing at the highest level is just writing for theme. Mm. Um, and I think that's something I actually learned in my least favorite class in college, which is something I had to take freshman year. There's just an essay writing class. Yeah. Um, 
of just that idea of like you have, I never really internalized it until now, which is, you know, it's, I don't know it's almost it, like but, education <laughs> matters. <laughs> yeah. Education, you have to be a little rounded because yeah. like, you know, they are trying to teach you something in school yeah. as much as it seems hard to believe. <laughs> I know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, just the having like you have a thesis and everything has to feed into that thesis in some way. And if it doesn't, especially in art where there's no right or wrong answer, mm. like if you don't have a thesis as a criteria for how you're going to ground your choices, like you're just going to be lost mm. in the woods. Like you have no idea what to do. So making sure that everything is touching on what you're trying to say and making sure what you're trying to say is as succinct and clear to you as possible yeah. uh, is something that professionally has like really helped yeah. my work out a lot. Yeah, I love how I feel like those two things go really closely hand in hand. Like, I think part of what makes improv so scary to a lot of people is that you don't know where a scene is going. And if you're with a group of people and you've done it a lot, I think there's certain, like, traits and quirks that you know about the other people who are performing in the scene with you that you can always rely on as a troupe. But, like, when you're with people yep. that you don't know so well, it's it's, like letting like you said letting go of that fear and also relying on yourself but more so you need to be able to concisely get a point across i think that's ultimately what yes. improv is about right it's like truth mm. and getting a point across in a in, in a succinct fashion when it's mostly like it is in short form you know um yeah so i think those are both really, really great yeah i well, like you said, like getting a point across with the truth of it too, like I think specifically in film, a lot of people come in with like, it, it has to be this thing because that's what I thought about beforehand. And like the best improv, like you're saying, is, is when you say something that acknowledges what's happening in the yeah. room. And I think that's like a really valuable lesson I've learned on set and stuff is like sometimes the idea you come in with, even if it feeds perfectly into your edit and all these other things and you have every reason to do it, like... If you're not open to what's happening in the moment, you're actually probably going to lose out on some mm -hmm. of that truth that's that's mm -hmm. there with you. Yeah, yeah. Um, Rebecca, I think a lot about Heather Delude. Who I was is thinking a about Heather Delude yeah. too. Yeah. yeah, shout out to Heather Delude. <laughs> I don't know if she'll hear this, but she was an English teacher slash improv. Um, like, it wasn't a class; it was a club, and that turned into like a, a the the winter play for underclassmen at our school. And she was so great about teaching you how to be comfortable outside of your comfort zone through mm. improv. Um, but she was also at uh, Second City uh, for a long time oh, before wow. she wow. decided to become a teacher. Yeah, no, she was really great. And I love that that improv had that kind of like impact on you because I don't think we've had anybody really talk about it before. And it's really, certainly no, like it's yeah. impacted it's impacted me like I think about and it's it's corny but I think about yes and all the time like I, I really yeah, do yeah, of course <laughs> yeah um so I think that's really great I and that applies to anything yeah. right like it doesn't if you're at like in any work context in any personal context people are going to like you more if you listen and say yes and then contribute something yeah. as opposed to just being like great 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 but here's what I always say right like <laughs> I think anyone who's like any parent who's trying to think of like getting their kid into an activity, like that's the thing to do because it's a skill that just translates mm, yeah. anything. Yeah. 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 So you, were you someone that tried a ton of activities until before you got into acting or was acting like really? Yes. I mean, I did a lot of sports. I'm okay. from Philly. It's a very big sports town. Sure, sure. Um, 
I was a small child. <laughs> really? Uh, oh my god! And so I think I'm learning yeah. a lot about Matt right now. Because <laughs> you're so tall. Yeah, I'm a big guy now, but I was a small kid, uh, and I just I knew I knew it was something I was interested in. Yeah. I've been doing like I was in the Keystone State Boy Choir for a long time, okay. so I knew I liked singing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and then my first year at a new school in fifth grade, I like auditioned for a musical and got in. Mm-hmm. And like did it and it was a great experience and I took a step back and like went back to sports and went back to choir and was like not really liking it as much. And I like anyway, yeah, I did kind of try out multiple different things before I settled yeah. in. Yeah. And that's, that's neither here nor there really, but I think that's it's interesting. I think it, it goes to your point about being more like well-rounded. Um, so you and I know that you've done like quite a lot of comedy and like short sketch form but what was it about comedy I mean other than like you kind of came up in it but was there something about comedy that you like in particular is that something that you're still um, pursuing yeah I think my answer to that has changed over the course of me doing mm-hmm. it which I think is cool mm-hmm. like I've kind of it's grown my relation to it has grown as I've grown in it I think it started out as it's just a very validating thing yeah. like drama is a little more universal, I think, but at the same time, it's harder to tell if it's working because mm-hmm. you're not going to make every person cry mm-hmm. every time. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. there's there's not, like, but if someone laughs, they like it. If right. someone doesn't, it doesn't matter if they say that they liked it, they didn't like it as much as they needed to, right? right? So it's just so cut and dry in, in the way that you get to experience it as an artist. And, like, it's just sort of such an easier criteria to improve on and judge yourself mm-hmm. through because of how clear-cut it is. Um, so I think that's where it started. And then now I like it because I feel obviously it's a very tense time. Uh, yeah. And talking about anything, I feel like comedy in my personal life has always been a way for me to say mean things in a loving way. <laughs> like say that. things that maybe would, yeah. you know, start an argument or just be a little too harsh. Yeah. But if you can say it in the right way, you can cushion it with some comedy. Yeah. Like you, you hide the kernel of truth in, yeah, you know, yeah, in the, yeah, yeah. the spoonful of sugar with the medicine, right? Um, and so now, especially when there's so many important things that need to be talked about, and so many of those conversations, just the second you bring up the topic, you isolate half of your audience, mm. and they're just they, they're like, no, I'm not gonna listen. I already know what I think. Like I don't want to talk about this anymore. Mm. So like, with comedy, uh, I had I had someone define a stand-up define comedy to me as a benign violation. So mm. it's something that you do wrong, but not in a way that actually like causes harm yeah yeah um and so i think that's such a useful tool right now for change because and and story as well but specifically comedy like if you can talk about complex things in a way that's not threatening in a way that doesn't feel targeted and doesn't feel uh like it's already trying to cut people out or tell you what to think it's just trying to talk about it and bring you along to the conversation and the conversation is enjoyable um i just think it could be a really powerful tool and it has been a powerful tool how has your experience working in comedy affected your directorial style in, mm-hmm. in directing actors and knowing that there can be such a risk when playing that comedy? That's, I think, honestly, in, in some ways, like, the lesson I've had to learn is when not to be funny. Mm-hmm. Like, if you're a leader, especially, um, or even if you just have an actor in a vulnerable position on set, right? Like, if someone's in their underwear or, like, tied up in a chair, like you know, maybe not the time to make a joke because you're the person who's looking out for them and they need to feel like, you know, you're taking it as seriously as it feels for them. Right. Rhythm is a huge part of it. Like, especially starting out writing and then directing and then editing it, I got to find my own comedic rhythm and, 
and like see it through all the three stages um, and translate it well. And that's actually something I think is interesting now as I'm doing more like narrative comedy stuff is like one of my, like some of my earlier collaborators read the scripts totally different than people who are reading a script of mine for the first time because they, they know what my rhythm is mm. and that totally changes the way that the script lands in a lot of senses, mm. um, which is a good thing and a bad thing. I'm needing to then find how to like make that rhythm more universal in how I write it. Um, but then too, right, if comedy is just about rhythm and then going into music videos, which is way more literally about rhythm, uh, and I think the best music videos too find their own rhythm for the visuals that complement the rhythm of the of the yeah. music and don't just like go along with it. Um, that's been a fun skill set to build um, in terms of like narrative stuff with comedy. Like I've kind of in the past few years started directing things I haven't written and that's been a new thing for me. So then trying to figure out how my comedic voice translates just to visuals. Yeah, yeah. Um, like, you know, and just learning that in a very real way, like, you know, a cut and a reaction shot or a setup and a punchline as much as any written thing is or um you know jackie chan is really good about having action and reaction in the same frame and that's been something i've been trying to work on like just the, these little things that uh so like you know i'm going to be directing this this stand-up special in january and that's something we're talking about is like we don't want to do inserts we want to try to have the audience and the performer in every frame together so that like you know, when they laugh, you know that they're actually laughing. It's not like this insert of a person nodding yeah, from, you know, five up. minutes before right. or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a, it's a perfect segue that you mentioned music videos because we'd love to know how you got into that. And you're also a musician as well. Um, so how does that play yes. into your into your vision as a director? Yeah, so I, so the job I got out of college was at a music video production company. Um, and that was on purpose. I was looking at the directing landscape and I was seeing that everyone who was doing what I actually wanted to do, which is like narrative work and, you know, comedy pilots, comedy TV, comedy films, they're all in their like late thirties, early forties. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just kind of a sad truth of the industry. It takes, there's really no prodigies in the film. Like even if there are, like a lot of them don't have follow-up successes or are they really a prodigy, mm-hmm. right? Um, yeah. And so realizing that the people who I saw getting like I I had a frank conversation with myself. I was like, do you want to be a comedy director or like what do you like what do you want to do from this? And I realized that the most the thing that I enjoyed most about the process was getting to come up with an idea and make it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when I kind of stripped my criteria back to that. I realized that music videos are the perfect place for that because it's one of the only places in your twenties that you can get consistent funding uh, to make your own ideas. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I started working at this company from there, just kind of getting to like pitch their insurance and their name to people. And like, you know, they would kind of, I had, they allowed me to inflate my credit at the company to try to present myself better to some of these guys. Uh, and just, you know, I took a few songwriting classes at NYU, so plugging those networks, was able to do a few music videos, um, ended up meeting Bubele Boy, who's Abba Boy's brother, who's been on I the know. podcast. Who's a music producer? Want, we uh, want to interview Bubelli so badly. <laughs> oh, you guys have to! Have I know, him. absolutely, yeah. and David. Oh, yeah, uh, we would love to. And, um, but that's huge. Like, I think that's the thing that I realized is like, it's I was working in the film side of the music industry and expecting that to be the way that I got into directing work for music videos, uh, and now I'm realizing you really have to be on the music side of the music industry to do music videos. Uh, as weird as that sounds, like even if you're not actually in the music side, like 
it's almost more important that you're someone that they know they want to spend a day with than it is that you're actually good at what you do, as stupid as that sounds. No, I think it's wonderful that you say that. I think it's great. Yeah. Yeah. Because frankly, most people aren't going to watch your work before they hire you, Um, which is so stupid. (laughs) (laughs) But also maybe good, because then they're not like looking at your shitty thing you made when you were like 20. (laughs) Not you, but like, you know. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Oh, and me. I have a ton of horrible things I've made like this year, let alone earlier. Uh, I understand. And the other thing too is like, it's an, how do I put this nicely? Like it's, uh, <laughs> it's an industry that runs on ego. Yeah. So if someone has vouched for you or if yeah. someone is choosing you, they include their own ego into that decision. So of course you're good because they're good at what they do and they vouch for you. Yeah. Right. So like, it's almost more important for you to impress them as a person, which is where that comedy improv skill set can come in. Yeah. As opposed to like being actually like, you, you know, it's all a prerequisite. Like if you're not, if you suck, you're not going to get much work. And well, if you don't have music videos, it's going to be way harder to get music video work. I feel like we could hopefully. all probably list some people at, at various levels of their career. I'm not talking yes. about just people starting. But I would say. But you're right. Totally. But, but some right. of those people are just too big to fail, right? right? Like you look at those people and you're like, how are they doing that? And you find out, you know, who their parents are, who their best friends are, or X, Y, and Z. And you're just like, oh yeah. I mean, obviously like yeah. you're going to be able to do that. Yeah. Um, so for the rest of us, like that would be what I say. Like, right. I, I did. I was an actor in a music video a couple weeks ago cool. and the director is just the synth player in the band. Like, that's cool. You know right? what I mean? Like, yeah, it's pretty, it's also like, it's hard because as a music video director, often some of those opportunities are going to be the most important things going on in your career. It's almost always towards the bottom of the priority list of the musicians because mm. that's just not their medium. Mm. It's just another thing they have to do as part of their promotion or their yeah. music cycle or like whatever they catalog it in. Um, so for them, right, it's about convenience. It's about is this person going to be enjoyable to work with? How hard am I going to have to look to get this thing? Uh, yeah. You know, like they don't want to sift through 50 people's like three video reels like they just don't have the time they're gonna go with like i just booked one of the biggest jobs i've ever booked and literally it's because my roommates are on the same management and they sent them an acapella video of me performing in high school of one of this (laughs) band i didn't know that part of it that's well congratulations that's amazing oh it's i'm very excited about it but literally they're just talking and they're like oh matt's a fan let's have matt do it like and they hadn't seen my stuff like it's it's stupid, but it's how it, it works. is. Yeah, and fun. so much about the film and the music industry is, like you said, about you know having good people skills. And it is so it's so it, I mean having the skills to do what you're good at is important. But like you said, having those people skills is like al- almost like like almost more important than that because if you're not someone who's fun to work yeah. with, or if you're just not a collaborative person, not an enjoyable person to be around you're going to stop getting opportunities really quickly. <laughs> um, so, mm. so much yeah. of it is about Absolutely. that. And I'm really glad you brought that up because not a lot of people talk about that, you know? So yeah. it is important. Yeah. Well, I, some of the best advice I've ever gotten, I got this week from a roommate. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cause to preface this advice, I feel like I was always focused on being good at mm. directing or writing or like whatever I was actually doing, like the craft side of things. Uh, but their advice was that, you know, at a certain point to be successful, your skill and your opportunity have to meet at the same level. Yeah. So if you're only focused on building a skill set and you're not focused on those relationships and the people skills and the networking side of things, at a certain point, you're going to hit a wall because like 
referrals can only get you so far. That is so good. Um, that is literally like that's another version of Yamana's golden truth, which is like meeting your expectations with your resources. I yeah. feel like that's yes. another iteration. Yamana Demisi, who's a teacher at NYU, a professor at NYU. Um, who is my thesis? Is thesis and that's advice. Teacher. That's advice you've given <laughs> yeah. me a lot. Every time you read another one of my scripts, you're like, "This is good," but where are we getting a million dollars from? That's <laughs> like what you were saying earlier. Is like, mm. you know, and we say this a lot on this podcast that like, at this point, we're we're all at the same skill level. We all have the skill. Yes. But yeah. there, there's so much more work that has to be put into it. And like you said earlier, a lot of it is lux, you know, yep. but you have to first get at that point before you can get lucky. Um, yeah. So, 100%. yeah, just love that really honest advice. It reminds me also of like how the muses won't come to you. Well, I, don't, I don't know what the exact quote is, right? But it's like muses don't come to you when you're not working. And, like I'm totally butchering the quote. <laughs> But it's like you can't get inspiration unless you're working towards it. Like it just won't come to you. You have to like work at it. That's what reminds me of Twilight Thorpe's book, which is a huge influence on why we started this podcast. Yes. Anyway, <laughs> totally pull the quote, Kara, Pull the quote. <laughs> which one about? I don't know. Which one? I don't know. Whatever comes to mind. Well, Twilight Thorpe's book, The Creative Habit, is amazing. And if you haven't read it yet, I highly recommend it. Yeah, no, I, I think about like relationships a lot, and people seem to always like pseudo stress it, but it, it doesn't. You're always sitting there and you're like, great, I'm a college student. All my peers are college students. But I, I think that also something that you kind of touched on is time. Like the, the just time that you need to live your life and mature and yep. meet people. Um, and you might have to do things that you don't want to do, but those will just build you up to be better at having where to pull from even if it's just motivation of like i can't do this anymore. yeah yeah <laughs> you know what i mean yeah, i do know uh, what you mean not everything has to feed straight into the work yeah. that you're making it can just suck because it sucks yeah. and then you can use that as like, motivation <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> yeah yeah um kind of pivoting what are your what are sort of like your you kind of talked about them a little bit but what are like your your go-to essential tools for filmmaking. Interesting. Well, I mean, your advice of uh, inspiration and opportunity aligning has been really good and grounding for like a lot. It's like a good filter to put things through. Not to say, but then also some other advice I've gotten recently is like, you know, writing is free. Mm. So if you want to showcase that you can do this huge thing, do it. Like there, no one is, you're never going to be able to prove you can do it with a short film you can afford to make. Yeah. So you kind of have to ride both things at the same time, yeah, yeah. Um, which is, that's been, uh, that's kind of been this year, honestly, that I've started thinking about it that way of like, you know, what's the short term plan? And then what's the thing I want to make when I'm 57? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, because I'm never going to get to make it if I can't prove that I can at least do it in the way that I can do it on yeah. paper. The other thing too, I think is just like, you have to know why you're doing it. Like, mm-hmm. I'm sure everyone can, who's made films can kind of relate to this, but like, it's not like music, for example, where like you do a thing and in four hours you finish the thing. And like, yeah, maybe you spend another day rewriting some things or like another day re-recording some things. But for the most part, like it's cut and dry. Like, you know, film takes years. And so if you don't know why you're doing it, uh, both from like a literal perspective of like, you know, is it money? Is it the opportunity? Is it the inspiration? But even beyond that, like, why do I need to bring this story into the world? Like, what about it? 
is relevant and like necessary mm. uh and then even beyond that like why am i the person to do that like um yeah i think that's and that's where the themes come in too like if you don't have a clear answer to that then it's also feeding into a clear theme that you're able to build everything on you're gonna get two years in and realize you built something on like a hollow skeleton yeah and all those decorations you you hung up aren't on anything because there's nothing at the center yeah. of it so it's gonna like fall apart has that ever happened to you oh yeah oh yeah <laughs> yeah i won't i won't name projects but there's not there's no worse feeling especially projects where you're like you're on set and you're like yeah. i shouldn't be doing this yeah oh that's uh, yeah especially i think it's it's something it's been more for work that i've like the more control over a project i have the less i feel that sure, way right. because the more control i have <laughs> but like if you're just producing something or you're just writing something or you're just directing something there's going to be things that you don't believe in that make it in. Yeah. Uh, and that's just like one of the hard parts of collaboration. And that's fine if you still have the overarching knowledge of like, this is why I'm doing it or this is what I'm, like why we're the ones to tell the story and why we're mm-hmm. telling the story. But if you if you don't have that and then you also disagree with some of the choices being made, like it can just be a really miserable yeah. time. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like I just triggered you. Kat. No, I mean, <laughs> no. nothing I that we like worked on together. Flashbacks. No, yeah. No, I'm not, I'm not saying that. Uh, definitely. Like anyone who worked on any student film. Definitely a lot of like, you know, my life of 2016 just like <laughs> going on yeah. in the back of my mind. Um, like I mentioned earlier, we met after college through our friend Martine. And shout out Martin Yeah, Martin episode, episode, uh, <laughs> episode nine. Episode nine. Episode nine. Check it out. Circle back. Um, and we must have tried to get like, how many projects did we try to get off the ground that just didn't happen? Oh my god! I think we had three yeah. shoots fall through. Yeah. One of them literally fell through the week of. Yes, which was insane. Do you remember yeah, that? Yeah, and I was like, so we mad. location, booked cast with crew, <laughs> yeah. all of it. Yeah. And then we got a call that Monday. The shoot was on Friday. Got a call that Monday from her manager being like, hey, so she just quit music. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we were like, uh, okay. Is she okay? <laughs> she actually is back okay. at it. Wow. Uh, I think she's going to take over the awesome. world. So, so it all worked yeah. out. Yeah. But I guess I was wondering, like, can you speak a little bit about, like, what it's like to, like, start working on something in your experiences? Like, and they're not, I don't, I don't look at them as failures on our parts at all. But, like, what is it like oh, to have had, like, that momentum going and then it just dissipates? Because I feel like it's. Yeah, well, yeah, that's interesting. Well, because even, so even this job I mentioned earlier, like, there was a two-week hiatus between, it always happens. This is something you're going to learn is everyone is so excited about the creative and then the second you send the email with the budget, there's going to be some radio yeah. and that's a scary moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because uh, yeah, yeah. that's when it gets real for people mm. um, and, you know, sometimes they come back, sometimes they don't. That's just the truth of it. Mm-hmm. And, like, for this big job even, they just ghosted me for three weeks. Uh, and, like, the band was going to go on tour. Like, it, we thought we were going to have to shoot it in two weeks from when we sent the budget. So I was just assuming we didn't get the job because that had been my experience with so many yeah. other projects. Um, and something I was talking about with my room, and I wasn't talking about, my, I was talking about it with Jamie Wolf, stand-up mm-hmm. comic who you guys should have on the show. I would love to. Uh, who I do a lot of my writing and comedy work with. Yeah, yeah. Um, but we were, he's, as a stand-up, he was saying it feels the same for him, but I was just saying I feel like my job is to be rejected. Mm. And then a happy byproduct of that job is I get to make something every once in a while. Yeah. Um, 
So I feel like that, like, just you can't view it as failure. Like, even if it is, and even if it straight up is your fault, like, even <laughs> if you did everything wrong and you made all the mistakes, like, yeah. that's just the step you needed to take to then, you know, get to wherever you need to be. Because, like I said, there's no prodigies in this. Mm -hmm. And the only way you're going to learn is by failing mm -hmm. and by doing it badly um, and doing it badly publicly. Yeah. So, yeah, I think that's really, like, and COVID, too, has kind of been a blessing, I feel like, for this generation of artists because it's, like, mm -hmm so much of making it like you'll notice so many people who make it aren't the most talented people mm -hmm. they're just people who didn't quit mm -hmm. and like kept doing it and kept getting better and they knew how like they learned how to learn and they learned how to improve and then they just kept doing it for a decade or two decades yeah. and then it worked out um so yeah i think that's really kind of been nice about covid is like first off all these failures like all these projects blowing up like it's kind of a blessing in disguise because if you fail out, if you fail and then you quit after those, you're probably not meant to do it. Yeah. And then with COVID on top of that, like the world's ending around you. Like I feel like personally, if I didn't quit within the last two years, I'm just probably not going to quit. Yeah. And hopefully that yeah. is like the thing that'll get us to the next level. Yeah. yeah. I don't see you quitting. <laughs> I don't know if that's reassuring I'm to hear. <laughs> I think that's why we get along. We have like the same kind of like level of stubbornness. Um, so my follow up to this, which kind of like led into this, quite nicely i think is i think the first project we did actually end up working together was the south africa project for manana yeah i can't believe <laughs> i felt so bad because we'd had all these other jobs with like genuinely like five times the budget yeah. like we'd had several of those come yeah. up and i was like kara let's do this we're gonna kill it falls through kara let's do it we're gonna kill it and then we're like oh actually uh we didn't even look at your work that even though we've been meeting with you for two months, we never watched your stuff. We just watched it. We're not even going to hear your pitch. Yeah. Like, like just these, you know, nightmare mm -hmm. situations. People are not always professional about how they handle things. Yeah. Uh, and then, yeah, Bubele uh, Boy, mad genius, yeah. calls me up and is like, hey, uh, we want to do a visual album for this EP for this artist, Manana. Uh, if anyone does not know of Manana, please do yourself a favor and check it out. Yeah, she right now. She has a new album coming out. I think he, his new album's coming out next year, so now's the perfect time to get familiar, get in early. Yeah, it's... He's a Grammy-winning songwriter, one of the biggest artists in South Africa. He's he's so... I mean, this man wakes up and sings better than most people will ever even aspire to be at anything. Like, he's just so, so good. Yeah. Manana, I hope you're listening. Yeah. <laughs> I love you. Uh, <laughs> uh, so anyway, that... Yeah, he... We had met in a songwriting class at NYU. You and uh, and me and Bubele, and that was, I was shooting my thesis at the time, so that was a fun thing of like, we got to connect in one arena, and then the, you just get to validate yourself in a totally other arena, because you'd be like, oh, check out this footage, like the dailies of these things, and he's like, oh my god, like, because it's one thing, like, if you're a good songwriter, that's one thing, but if you're a good songwriter, it's not even the thing that you're doing, it's way more impressive, mm -hmm. is what I found, um, and that like, definitely validated me to him in a different way than if I was just like someone in this field competing with him for opportunities. Yeah. Uh, so all of a sudden this thing of like two talented people who were kind of adjacent in a lot of ways became two talented people who knew how to help each mm -hmm. other. Um, so anyway, he had this project coming up. He's like, I want to do a visual album. Uh, I said, yes, pitch the thing. We got it. Hit up Kara. We're like, let's do this. And then a few weeks later, they're like, you know what? It's not going to be a visual album. We're going to do three live videos. So we need to do a remote shoot with like live camera and live audio, which if it sounds crazy, it's because it is. <laughs> <laughs> which also, it was in South Africa and it was COVID. 
<laughs> and like something that's so dumb and should be so obvious is that also South Africa is on the other hemisphere, so the seasons are flipped. And you don't think that's a big deal until you think it's summer, but it's actually winter. <laughs> and you're like, also six hours behind. I just want to circle back and also mention it was a remote shoot in South Africa. We were in New York. The location in South Africa didn't have Wi Fi. Yeah, yeah. I just, that's so the part crazy. that really gets me. I like blocked that out from my memory. <laughs> and Bubele mentioned it like two weeks ago because we're finally finishing those, those edits. Fired someone's Wi Fi. Um, router yes. thing. Yeah, we had to, I think it was Abos. I oh, think we yeah. had yeah, yeah, his yeah, own yeah, Wi-Fi yeah. router that we had to end up using. Uh, so anyway, yeah, if that sounds impossible, it's because it probably is. <laughs> <laughs> but it exists. That's the thing. <laughs> we the went impossible it together. is now made possible. That's, that's the Kara effect. N- uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> no way. I just, I just, I just think, I say this all the time. I think it's so much, my job is so much easier when I work with talent, with people that are great to work with, you know. Um, so with that all in mind, like all the sorts of distances that existed in this context, what was it like directing in that moment? And what did you take away from that? So I have never experienced sleep paralysis, oh, gosh. which for those of you who don't know, sleep paralysis is when your body or it's when your brain wakes up, but your body doesn't and you keep dreaming even though you're awake. So people like are paralyzed in their bed and they'll hallucinate like demons and stuff like, you know, clowns at the foot of their bed. Anyway, I'm pretty sure that directing experience, because we had to do three videos in one day, and the day started like three hours late, and there was all these issues with Wi-Fi. Like, I really had, like, not only was it already initially difficult to communicate to people the things I needed to communicate, beyond that, everyone on set is so panicked and rushed that, like, they don't, uh, they, like, it's, I'm sure people who've been on set know this feeling of, like, we just have to push through and get it done no matter what even when sometimes the best thing to do is take a step back and go a little slower and just do it once the right way. Um, but so anyway, that directing experience is the closest I think I've come to feeling the sensation of sleep paralysis. Cause like I'm literally watching these things go wrong and like just little miscommunications, like, you know, a room that we pre-light didn't get communicated to the right people that that's like where the next shots taking yeah. place. And then they start undoing the pre-light and relighting it in a different place. Like just, you know, all of these things. Um, and I'm just literally like screaming, like trying, no one's by the monitor. Like, so they're not hearing me. I'm calling people. Yeah. They're not picking up. Like, it's just such a powerless feeling. Yeah. Um, so I think the two things I, was that the question? What did I take away from it? <laughs> yeah. Uh, stress, a lot of stress. Um, a memory of Bubele Boy on the floor of my living room in the fetal position saying, I'm never doing this again. Oh. Uh, <laughs> oh, <gosh. laughs> That's, music people don't get what film is until they show up. And yeah. Like, oh God, this is way more stressful. Yeah. <laughs> um, but then also like a newfound, like it, we'd prepped a ton and then had a ton thrown at us at the last minute yeah. that undid a lot of our prep, which to me, like it's easy to be like, you know, that, you know, be mad about it. But I think it just for me validated the importance of prep. Like yeah. if we'd been able, if right, I'm not going to go into it, but if the things that happened in the 24 hours leading up to yeah. the first time we, we hit action, hadn't happened and we gotten to do our initial plan um i just know that a lot of those things wouldn't have been problems and they would have gone away so then to see like obviously it's it's kind of bittersweet that you learn that lesson because of things going wrong and not because of things going right because of your prep uh but you almost don't internalize like i feel like sometimes it's easy when things just go right to be like i'm a genius (laughs) it's like you don't necessarily have the critical lens that you do when something goes very wrong and you still have to make it work anyway. 
Um, and yeah, I think that was the other thing too, is just that yes and of like, okay, here we are. Like our plan's out the window. I can't even communicate. Like, I, you know, I'm only going to get to say maybe five or six things total today because yeah. that's like the time people have to call me. So like, but you still have to do your job and direct people towards your vision and like get what you need because I'm also the one editing it. Like get what you know that you need mm-hmm. out of it. Yeah. So like, and and like that, Bubele, I had a phone call with one of the producers and Bubele was like, I've never heard you talk to anyone like that. And I have, it's not a way I like to treat people. And it wasn't rude. I was just basically being like, I told, I put Abba on the phone. He was directing on site. He was co-directing it with me. And I was like, Abba, go and just hit record and start shooting. Put me on the phone with whoever you need me to talk to, to tell them we're doing this. Yeah. And like, and then I talked to the producer in an even more stern way. Yeah. Uh, and learning, just learning that, like there's times to be nice and to be collaborative and there's times to just be like, no, this is what we're doing because I'm the only one who knows what the finished yeah. product looks like right now and we don't have it without these things. Um, it also was like a lesson I learned in that moment of like, I like to be kind to people on these in these situations because they're working hard on something in a way that they don't always have to. And sadly, that's not a given for people working in this industry to just like have that mindset. But then I also realized, like, if you're not doing it to be a good person, fine. But here's a value you can get from it if it's only about you getting something from things. Is, like, I don't treat people that way. So then the one time I did, everyone listened to me because yeah. I knew that I was serious. Yeah. And I've been on sets with directors who, like, you know, show up and are like, no, redo the whole thing. Like, you know, there's one wrinkle on that seamless. So we need to, like, scrap everything and start over. And then on the shoot day, they get there and they start yelling things and there's way less, like people just don't know what's serious and what's not serious because they treat everything like it's the end of the world. Um, So I think that was another thing too of like, you know, like being around more professional directors who treated people worse than I did, I was like, oh, maybe that's why they're good is because they're so uncompromising and so Mm. uh, ruthless in how they treat people. And to some extent, I do think that can be true. Like you do have to be, like know when you need to be uncompromising. But I think it also validated to me, like, the value of just, like, respecting people and treating yeah. them well. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. 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 No, I, it's it's kind of nice having, because we did our postmortem after the fact, but it was kind of, it's kind of nice to hear yes. you talk about it a little more than a year out from a different kind of perspective. Um, and I think it goes to show that, like, even with the most nightmare situations that could be thrown at you, you make the best of what you have, you know? Mm, totally. And that's also a big part totally. of film, I think. And I, what you've touched on, too. Like, if you're not honoring, you said this earlier, but if you're not honoring what's there, then you're doing something wrong as well. Mm-hmm. You need to honor what's there. Yes. Yeah. And yeah, none of the videos were the videos we set out to make. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's a good thing and a bad thing. Um, and also, like, they're not the best like at that moment in time it's it, this is always going to be a frustrating feeling yeah. but it's part of failure is like you know it's frustrating when you make something and it's not the best thing you've made mm-hmm. because ideally growth is linear yeah. and every project you make is going to be the better better than the one before it yeah. um and you know film that's never going to happen because there's so many things you don't control but even in something like you know writing or stand-up that's just totally individual um even then it's not going to be true so I think that's another valuable lesson from it is like you're always, yeah, growth's not linear. Yeah. I think that goes through anything that's that's really collaborative. No matter the industry that you're in is if you set out with an idea, it very rarely ends the way that you envisioned it. And that's just part of, totally. that's part of the growth and that's part of learning to adapt and be flexible. And 
to all artists out there who you know struggle with this it's the struggle bus is real Mm -hmm. you know (laughs) it's it's so real because it's it can be completely like heart-wrenching when you know you picture something so perfectly in your head and it's not the end product and perhaps it's better than what you pictured maybe it's not but you know it's still it's it's like you live with this idea for so long and it just it just ends up being something completely different and again that could be a really good thing or maybe not so much but it's all part of the process of learning and growing and it's part of the journey of life (laughs) as an artist totally (laughs) there's a youtube video that we'll link in our description because i can't remember the name of it but it's it's a wes anderson analysis of grand budapest hotel and I would argue that Wes Anderson maybe be maybe might be one of the directors out there that is so incredibly neurotic and meticulous about what his work is in prep as well, but also very nice and kind. Like there's every yeah. video you watch behind the scenes, people are so happy to be there and so relaxed to be on these sets that are fantastical, over the top sets, and there's this very calming energy. Which I think is very inspiring, but what what I think is so incredible about this movie is that he, they go through some of his animatics. Like, I mean, this guy makes animatics and he voices them over. Like, he is so like he does wow. it to an extent where he literally has drawn out, animated in some way, and voiced what each scene looks like. But then you get Bob, you get Bob Yeoman, his DP, in, and there are slight changes that just make it feel way more alive, and that make be more of an analysis of like that dp director mm-hmm. like relationship but i think that video is very effective mm-hmm. especially in the scene where um jeff goldblum's character is reading the will and and they're like wes anderson's drawn shot is very tight but the room the actual shot is a much wider shot and you get so much more context of the room which is brilliant i don't know it just kind of reminded mm-hmm. me of that a little bit too where like totally even if you plan so much so much out and you are as meticulous as this director just happens to be opening yourself up with the prep that you did might lead you into something even better or stronger. I feel like um, when you're only doing your own thing, like, you know, if you're just going to shoot the animatic, yeah, it, it, there's a, I think especially for new artists, and again, it's like the fear of failure mm. of like, you, it, there's a level of control because you know what you're getting from it. But the, the best art in anything, but I think especially film because it's such a collaborative medium and like, you know, the best directors are the ones who in their interviews are like, you know, I'm not the best mm-hmm. filmmaker on set, right? Like, I'm just the best person to tell this story. Yeah. Uh, but my DP is way better at that than I am. My gaffer's way better at that than I am. My costume designer, my set designer, yeah. like all of it. Um, and I think the best art and more specifically the best films are things that feel like they're greater than the mm-hmm. sum of their parts. Yeah. And you're never, ever going to get that if it's just yeah. you funneling everything through you in, in a way that you already have preconceived. Yeah. Um, and again, like the risk is that you're going to fail. It's going to be worse, but that's, that's the skill yeah. is just doing that until you realize, you know, when you need to be rigid and when you should let more ideas in. Yeah. It's part, it's part of the magic that I've always said that collaboration makes a story come to life. And it's the people that, you know, you surround yourself with when you're on set or, you know, in any sort of creative, you know, situation that you're in, you know, that help, help bring that vision to fruition that rhymed um (laughs) um, but yeah absolutely and it is a skill learning to deal with that risk because it is a risk every time every time you're you're put in that position Mm. so yeah i have one last question it's kind of it's kind of like a a baby clickbaity question oh my gosh i'm excited okay matt new york or (laughs) 
Ooh, okay, okay. Okay, I, I've had a lot of conversations about this recently. Okay, okay. Uh, yeah, so for people who don't know my history, I, I was in New York for six years. I moved out to Los Angeles this March. So I've been here, I'm not going to do the math, but almost a year, a little bit less. Um, the best advice I've gotten from someone who's lived here a long time, I had a, a lunch with this artist who was moving to Nashville. Mm. Um, and he gave me like this great, like, I'm on the other side, like, look <laughs> out, like, you know, like, yeah, yeah. let me pass on all this wisdom to you. It was such a generous conversation. And he said something that, uh, not to drop names, but Stevie Nicks told wow. me. Oh my uh, goodness. Uh, she said that New York is a river and LA is a lake. Whoa. Uh, yes. And I've been thinking about that a lot. I have my own thoughts out on top of it. But just to unpack that thought, what they mean by that is like in New York, life happens to you. Yeah. Uh, you walk out on the street, you could literally meet anyone. Yeah. Now that could be, you know, the biggest director or casting agent in the world. It could also be someone who's going to kill you. <laughs> so like, it just yes. happens to you. Um, <laughs> I say that and everyone's in New York like, oh yeah, someone's going to kill me. Then you know Steve. <laughs> <laughs> Um, in LA, it is, and I think part of it too is like life's less comfortable in New York. There's less space, there's less mm -hmm. tables at coffee shops, there's less benches available at parks, like just all those little things. In LA, you know, you're, you have nicer views, the weather's nicer. It's just easier to kind of have a joyful moment to moment that you don't need to like actively strive for. Um, and because of that, people are just more complacent in the present, which is a good thing, like from a mental health perspective, at least in my opinion. Um, but can kind of also be hard because you can get trapped in your own world. Because like, again, in New York, you walk down the street, you're going to interact with all these different people on the subway, at these shops, all these things. In LA, you're either in a house that you are in or like an apartment that you're in or a place that you were choosing to go to or invited to go to. Yeah. Um, and you drive in between. So like you really build your world out more in LA in a more active way. So if you're not being active about it, you can really close yourself off and not get the same opportunities. So this artist's advice to me was like in New York, it's about um, valuing yourself because you're always going to be presented with so many opportunities. And like, I mean, I have horror stories of like internships I did or job opportunities I did where like, I just should not have done them. I did it because I was like, you know, I'm just starting out. I feel like I need to do something. I don't feel like I'm in a position to say no to things. And that's terrible advice. Even if you're just starting out, know your value. The fact that you're young is actually a huge asset. The fact that you've grown up in the media landscape that we've grown up with the internet, like you have more inherent media literacy than most masters did yeah. 60 years ago. Yeah. So really back yourself um, and don't say no to opportunities that you feel like are below you because you're probably right. Um, versus in LA, you have to make your own waves. So you, like you maybe have to hustle a bit more and like do that set as a PA that's not paying a union rate. Just yeah. because you need to make those connections and do those things. Yeah. Speaking of which, stand in solidarity with the strike. Yes. Uh, you know, yes. Let's stop abusing abusing uh, our workers. Yeah. Um, but anyway, not to get political. So then, no, that something that I was talking about, about though. <laughs> yeah, that's that's pretty cut and dry yeah. in my opinion. Um, something though that I have been thinking about because personally, I think LA has been a better fit for me specifically. But here's why: the people who I know who were the most successful in New York, at least, I mean, I'm 25 years old now. So at this point at 25, um, this, this is what I have to say. 
Um, the people in their young 20s who have been the most successful are the people who do not want to work. <laughs> and, in, and because of that, they only take good opportunities. So they've been like swept into these amazing situations doing these incredible things. Um, I personally am not like that. I am not trying to work for other people. I have my own thing that I'm trying to build. And like to carry out the metaphor of a river or a lake, if you're trying to build your own castle, it's easier to build something in the middle of a lake than a river. Because every time you put a brick down a river, it's going to get swept away by something. Um, and New York, there's so many things that are so established and everything is so packed together and so competitive just by the nature of like what New York is as an, an entity. I think it's a harder place to build something up from scratch on your own and on your own terms versus LA, there's more space and you can even make more space if you want more space in terms of just like not going to things or like not taking certain jobs and that sort of thing. Um, so for me, trying to prioritize doing my own things as opposed to working on other things, I think LA has been a better fit for me. Uh, but that's just because I'm trying to do this very right. specific thing. Um, I'm sure other people are going to totally disagree with me. I think that's what's beautiful about that's it. That's what I like about this question from anyone who's who who I we have the opportunity to ask, who's either spent a lot of time in both places or has lived in both places. I, it's, a, it's a fun thing to ask. I love that metaphor. I'm going to be mm. thinking about that for a while. I'm going to call you about that later. I know. I, <laughs> I, he told me like three months ago and I've not stopped thinking about it. It's insane. Yeah. Shout out to Morgan, by the way. He gave me that advice. Morgan with an X. Check out his music. He's yeah. an amazing artist. Is there anything? I mean, I feel like this was such a productive and wonderful conversation. Thank you guys oh for having me on. Yeah, yeah it's such an you. honor. Thank you for coming on. Um, we course. would just love it if you could sign off and say your name again and where people can find you on social media. Give us your website. Um, that'd be great. Yeah, for sure. Uh, well, first off, everyone, thank you for listening. Stay safe. You know, don't be stupid. If you're young and starting out in this career, just know that it takes 10 years to become a professional at anything and 20 years to become a master. So don't give up. Just put the work in. You'll get there. Um, and yeah, you can find me on all social media. I'm Oconomat, O-C-O-N-O-M-A-T-T. -T. You can also check out my work on my website, MatthewOconnorFilms.com. It's linked in my bios on the social media. So maybe just give me a follow and check it out there. Uh, and yeah, I'm Matt O'Connor. Thanks for listening. That was like a great sign off. Can I just say yeah. that was like a perfect sign off? <laughs> <laughs> Nailed and it. And you put advice in there. Yeah, which we love. Yeah, which we love. Love it. Thank you so much to Matt for coming on to our show. It was so awesome speaking with you. Um, Mm -hmm. Long time coming, like we said, and it was, yeah, it was so great to finally be able to have this conversation with you and learn about your artistic process. And yeah, I was shocked that I learned so much. I I felt like I knew you really well, <laughs> Matt. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that just goes to show how how um, how much I, what I love about this show is that getting to know people, getting to hear their stories, and yeah just understanding where people are at right now and their craft and yeah thank you for sharing and a lot of really exciting prospects up ahead so i stay in touch um with us at the podcast imperfect either the in podcast imperfect.com we'll, we'll have updates uh coming up or on our instagram where you can always find more about our featured artists such as matt and then things that they're working on. You can follow Matt, of course, on Instagram at Matt. That's O-C-O-N-O-M-A-T-T. Uh, or you can check out his website, which I highly recommend, which is MatthewOConnorFilms.com. 
PC sample of his amazing work that he's done so far. Uh, you can follow me if you're interested. <laughs> which oh, which is really exciting. By the way, because Rebecca and I are recording this on October first, which is officially the first day of Inktober. So I will be trying and struggling, but I will be uh, trying to post a picture every day. Yeah, drawing you will. A doodle every day. Amazing. Um, I'm doing fairy little peaches, which is really cute. Aww. She's cute. She's based in. Uh, she's a great artist. If, if you don't know her work she's amazing really cute really really cute stuff she's based in australia um but i'll be doing hers her challenge so anyway (laughs) nice little shout out to someone i admire on the internet um (laughs) um absolutely i look forward to seeing your little posts every day little doodles yeah so uh, anyway um you can follow me at quiet open you can follow me rebecca at rebecca nesco music you can you can um if you're interested in coming on the show, you can always DM us or you can send us an email at the podcast imperfect as well. This outro is all over the place, but it's been a fr- it's been today's Friday. It's been a long week. It's officially spooky season. So I it's think, officially spooky season. Like when Matt's episode drops, we're deep into spooky season. Yeah. Yeah. That's so crazy to me. I know. And <laughs> to keep you all on the edge of your seats, we are booked we have booked our guests all the way through like mid January. It's pretty so exciting. We have some really fantastic people coming on, and we are really excited. Yeah. Um, to share to share all those interviews yeah. in the future, but interviews you know we book super far in advance. So if you're interested, <laughs> definitely give us a shout, and we'd love to yeah. have you on. We'd love to have you on. All right. Well, we I hope, hope you have that a spooky October. Spooky day. Oh, <laughs> spooky my God. Day. Yeah. Ooh. Have a great spooky day. <laughs> <laughs>